I'm Tony Quello, and I'm the author of the ADA. I am totally committed to supporting Hillary Clinton for president. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. And this is it. This is the year of the presidential election. And let me tell you what, it just came out an article I just saw today about how strong and powerful the disability vote has become in the United States. And that, I believe, is going to change the landscape of the whole election process from now to the future. And I want to say thank you, Tony, uh, for those comments. I'm just so excited following all of this. But two things. First, thank you, Highmark. Thank you, Cavestro, for being sponsors of my radio show. And Yeshiko Dart. I haven't talked to you for a while, so a special shout out to you. I hope that everything is going well. She is such a great person, Yoshiko. She is such a great, great, great person. Uh, that article I was talking about, folks, disability could play outsides role in this election. The number of potential voters with disabilities is on the rise, and guess what? It now exceeds that of either African-Americans or Latinos in this country. Can you believe it? 35.4 million people with disabilities are expected to be eligible to vote in the presidential election this November. You know what that is? That, folks, is an increase of 7%. 7% from 2013. And that is nearly one-sixth of the total U.S. electorate. I'm telling you what, uh, this was just released this month from the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations based on data from the U.S. Census Bureau's. And um, it's just so exciting. We have a voice. Now the voice is being heard. And you know with me, that voice is all about employment, and that is why I am so excited with our guest today because anything that relates to employment is at the top of my list. Uh, and today we have the project director from Pete, Josh Christensen, with us. Uh, Josh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on and uh, to this important program and all the important work you do. Thank you very much. So for our listeners across the country, Josh, um, can you tell us what does PEAT stand for? What does it stand for? And what is the mission? Sure. So PEAT stands for the Partnership on Employment and accessible technology. And it's a project, a grant really, um, funded by the um, U.S. Department of Labor out of the Office of Disability Employment Policy, or ODAP. ODEP is commonly referred to. And um, PETA is a, a multifaceted initiative. It's aimed at fostering collaboration and action around accessible workplace technology. We um, connect with and, and are guided by a consortium of thought leaders around policy and technology in these matters. Um, we work with employers, with uh, developers of, of technology, um, with user, users and others to really understand why it's important to to. Uh, build and buy accessible technology um, and how to go about doing so. Um, and we provide um, resources accordingly. And for the record, all of our resources are completely free. Everything free. Wow, that is awesome. Um, and you, Josh, how did you become involved? Well, I first became involved with Pete. Um, it's coming up on, on two years. will be this fall. Um, when the project had recently launched its website and was kind of in a state of transition. And I was initially helping with some of the project management of the grant. And in large part, um, that's still my role as project director today. Um, I officially took over that role in May of 2015. 
Um, but my, my job is really connecting. There are many, many other people on our team um, in our PEAT network um, that know and do a lot more about these issues than I do. And I really see my job is to, to bring them together and set up a context in which um, the collaborations we seek can, can thrive and succeed and, and push the issue of um, employment for people with disabilities as it relates to accessible technology uh, forward in, in the conversation. And, and you know, Josh, so is your organization then, is it part of ODEP or is it out of ODEP? How does that work? So it's a, it's a, a cooperative agreement or a grant that um, the Department of Labor put out. It was, there was originally a large consortium of different um, experts that were involved, and the, the grant is awarded to RESNA, um, so they manage the grant and the funds and build the team, um, but, we, but we are a, a, a large group of, of folks um, working on the P project. Actually, we're a small group. We're a diverse group of folks, small group of folks, working on the P project. Um, that's funded by the Department of Labor, funded out of ODEP um, on a five-year grant cycle um, and managed by RESNA, uh, the money itself. So it was awarded to RESNA. RESNA puts the team together um, to move the, the goals and the mission of, of ODEP's vision forward. Well, that is awesome. Um, yes, and so you all know, all my listeners, uh, I actually was at an event that uh, the Assistant Secretary uh, of ODEP or Acting Secretary uh, was at Jennifer Sheehy, where mm-hmm. Josh spoke to all these businesses that were uh, New Freedom Initiative winners, and he uh, gave this presentation, and I was just so impressed with him and with the work that they were doing that that was the reason I wanted him to be on the radio show. So I really, I really do think it's really uh, very important, and I think you have an excellent website. I think you have a lot of great information there that, that, is, that I believe would be helpful to any company. Um, you know, I reviewed it. I am very impressed by it, and I would encourage any of our listeners, as we go on in the show, you'll see that we're talking about employment and accessibility, and you can find that information. So Pete came into existence then really out of this ODEP uh, grant, and mm-hmm. I guess probably because of the great need for, for employment and for accessibility by companies, correct? Yes, yes. Um, ODEP recognized that really one of the greatest impacts on employment success of people with disabilities is the availability of accessible technology in the workplace. Do the people have what they need to do their job and, and, and excel? And so ODEP developed this five-year grant um, to fund the Partnership on Employment Accessible Technology to address that gap between where technology was and is today and really the potential future of a universally designed accessible technology in the workplace. And so our focus and our mission is, has, has been to kind of help move, move this ball forward um, as it relates to closing the gap between accessible technology and the workplace, making everything that any employee needs to do when they interact with technology, which can be uh, numerous things depending on your job, making sure it's accessible to people of all abilities so that they can do their job and do it properly, um, which is their right. And so um, our job is to continue to close that gap and push for the promotion and adoption of accessible technology in the workplace. And over the last four years, um, we gained a lot. Um, The field has moved a lot. Um, and it's increasingly uh, making available technology, and it's become one of Department of Labor's main strategic goals. So it's, a, it's an exciting, quickly changing, important space to work in, um, and we're glad you're um, highlighting it. We appreciate that. Absolutely, and you know all my listeners, you know I'm all about employment. You know I'm a woman living with uh, epilepsy, but I want to just point out something, you know, Employment accessibility go hand in hand because you can't work if the software isn't accessible. I mean, you know, these they go hand in hand. That's why I think this organization, uh, you know, is so right on. Uh, you know, their whole their whole mission, everything they're talking about, and as I said, great website. But remember, if 
you can't do the work if you don't have access with the technology, then you can't work. So that's why it's really I'm excited what we're going to be talking about today. But right now we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just tuned in, we are talking today to Josh Christensen about the work at Pete. And Josh is the project director working to change businesses to employ people with disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Josh. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Josh Christensen, Project Director for the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology. This, this show is really important today because for businesses, we're giving you a great resource that can be helpful to you. Um, and Josh, what is the website? Yes, thank you. Uh, the web address is www. PeteWorks.org. That's P-E-A-T-W-O-R-K-S dot O-R-G. And we'll give that to you again later in the show. But, you know, I, I just know if you go there, you're going to be able to get a lot of questions answered. So make sure that you check that out. You know, with me... It's employment. We have the highest unemployment of any group in America. We have 70% of people with disabilities still not counted in the workforce. We've got to change this, and we are making changes. We're moving in the right direction, but we need as much help as we can get, and that's why I wanted to have Josh on. So, Josh, one of your main areas of work, and this is when I heard you talk about it, uh, is accessibility in software. Is that correct? Yes, true, yes. Can, can you talk about that? Sure. So um, when we think of accessibility, it really um, is from a, a perspective of um, the initial design of software and technology. And so uh, Pete really embraces um, universal design, the concept of universal design and making technology accessible to the widest population possible right outside of the box. And so while we um, know, acknowledge, and are appreciative of all that assistive technology does, um, devices that people have as kind of an add-on so that they can access and use technology, we really want to push that um, companies, software developers, designers, those writing code, um, create software in mind so that in an ideal Pete world, 
um, um, you know, far, far away, but, but, but maybe not. Um, assistive technology wouldn't be useful. That everything that we need, no matter what your ability or disability is around cognitive or deaf part of hearing or in the blind community, that it would be there in the software as an option, as something you could tailor to suit your needs and abilities um, right outside of the box. And so we do focus on software and we want the designers and developers of the world to, to understand accessibility, to incorporate it into their coding, um, into the development of software and applications um, so, so that more people can participate. Um, and I'm proud to say so to others. There's lots of people that are pushing this movement um, to make accessibility more prevalent, both in the education curriculum and also the pro- professional requirements in the field. Um, and this is really about accessible technology in an in a, in a IT perspective, um, not just accessibility, as we also know in the important areas of kind of the physical space. And so we, we do focus on developers and designers, um, and we're just one of the voices pushing that. But one good note I would, I would end on with the, the touch point around software is it's not hard. Um, we know how to do it, or I should say, I don't know how to do it, but the software developers and designers know how to do this and how to make things accessible to the broadest um, population possible. Um, I would say it's not rocket science in in the colloquial phrase, but I I think it actually technically could be rocket science. Um, But the point of it is, um, if you know how to build a rocket, you know how to build it accessibly. If you know how to build a website, you should and could easily know how to build it accessibly. It doesn't take much new. It's not too different or outside of the abilities or skill set. It's really about awareness and exposure. Um, people can do this and they should do this. And um, the technical part of this work is not that difficult. So we know how to do it. And Pete really is pushing the awareness and promotion um, of more developers and designers um, um, using um, accessibility and universal design in their coding. You know what I have? Yeah, that is awesome. And you know what? I agree with you, so many things you said here, but people, I don't know why this is, but when you talk to them about accessible software, they immediately think blind, only Mm -hmm. blind. But but that's not true. Yes, it is. That must be accessible for people who are blind, but also for people who are deaf or people with mobility issues or learning Mm -hmm. disabilities, which means it's so much bigger sometimes than people think. Oh, yes. It it goes to all kinds of abilities. So cognitive and the wide spectrum that is, you mentioned motor issues. Um, It is everything from, yes, being able to either serve as a screen reader or be um, compatible with a screen reader, but also the color contrast of websites, the timing of, of websites. Um, uh, can you navigate with the, the keyboard as opposed to just a mouse and really having all of that built in, you know, having everything. Of course, videos need to be captioned. Of course, you need captioning. Um, all of that um, needs to be built in and be a standard um, when people are developing and designing websites. Um, and it's critical. It's a, it's, a, it's a civil rights issue for, for employees so that they're able to do their job. Well, Maybe you could start by explaining to our listeners what WCAG 2.0 is, W-C-A-G 2.0. Yes, I'll I'll give it my best shot. As I mentioned earlier, I do have a team of much more knowledgeable folks, but um, I I said, so I said, we know how to do it again. I don't know how to do it, but the experts do, and they've gotten together and they've created WCAG 2.0 as a guideline. So WCAG stands for Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, and they are the internationally recognized standards developed and maintained um, by the, make sure I get this right, Worldwide Web's Consortium Web Accessibility Initiative. So these are really smart people that understand the web that have come together to say, hey, these are the standards and these are what you should work on. And um, it's important to note they're standards. They're not legal regulations. They're standards and guidelines and they're testable technically, um, which is really practical for, for people that are designing things. And so even though they're not regulations, it is important to note um, that the Department of Justice has increasingly referenced WCAG 2.0 and the AA standard. There's kind of different levels of accessibility. There's single A and AA and AAA. Um, and DOJ has referenced WCAG 2.0 AA as the standard for digital accessibility under the ADA in recent settlements. So there are hundreds of settlements that um, Department of Justice has been involved in around ADA, many connected to employment, 
Um, and they reference WCAG 2.0 as like the standard. That's what you need to do. And, and likewise, um, Section 508 standards uh, will apply, which apply to federal entities and federal contractors, are also in the process of being updated to align with WCAG 2.0. It's seen as the standard where we need to go. And I kind of think of WCAG as the spirit of the law as opposed to the letter of it. It's really practical guide for how to make things as accessible, it's testable, it reaches the largest population, um, and I'm proud to say that one of our key Pete team members, Ben Caldwell, um, has been the editor for WCAG team, and so Pete is very much in line with and supportive of this being a strong standard to follow. Um, it makes sense and is, is, is outlined in a way that allows technology to change and grow, which it does often and quickly. So it's a, it's a great standard and guideline that really recognized internationally. So, yeah, it's the, it, it is a, a Bible or guideline, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, but with 508, that's what's making it that you have to follow it. That, that's what's turning Correct. it to the law. That part. is a, a law and a regulation for um, any federal government or federal contractors that has to deal with accessibility. Now, here's a question I have. Where is that at? Where does it stand? Like, you know, like oh, Section 503 of the Rehab Act, you know <laughs> yeah, how yeah. it was, new rules came out, and then two years now, you know, yeah. it's in effect and being enforced. Where are we with this? Well, that's a great question, which no one can truly answer, but I'll give you uh, my, my current insight. So, um, and then I just ended with speaking about the speed and technology uh, speed of change with technology and why WCAG 2.0 is a, is a great guideline because it kind of takes that into account as it guides people towards. And this is one of the reasons that 508 as a regulation has been so difficult to refresh. And, and or yeah, so let me explain a little bit about it. It is Section 508 was originally of the Workforce Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Um, and it was last updated almost 16 years ago. So, of course, in the last 16 years, uh, the Internet, uh, web accessibility, technologies, assistive technologies, all of these um, have evolved significantly since then uh, at a rapid pace. And it's hard to keep track of what the regulation should be to something that's evolving so quickly. Um, But most recently, in 2015, the U.S. Access Board uh, released a proposed rule updating the standards. So to refresh the 508 standards that were were, updated. last updated in 98, and they said we should incorporate WCAG um, and other standards as a reference. And so the new version is expected to provide a much more comprehensive approach to web accessibility to um, be a bit more flexible. Um, And currently what we know is that the Access Board is still incorporating public comments to the proposed rule, and that once it's finalized, it will be published, um, their final rule in the, in the Federal Register. And uh, once it's published in the Federal Register, it would take effect six months after the effective date of publication. So it would come the law, land, and regulation six months after that. We're not exactly sure when this will be, um, unfortunately, especially since the Board is seeking comment on the effective date. Um, but in the meantime, though, people are in common agreement that the current standard is outdated, so everyone really should be working on getting up into WCAG 2.0 AA standards because it, it looks like that will be um, kind of the benchmark and the norm to ensure that your web content is accessible once it, once it becomes law and those regulations are, are refreshed. And so, Josh, when this happens, I mean, it's like... The real deal. I mean, if you're a federal contractor, you have yeah. to have, right? Am I right? You yeah, have and, to have. If you're a federal contractor, so many people, if any part of your company does some federal contracting, my understanding is you're, you're going to have to, um, all of what you do um, is going to need to be accessible. So it's, you know, it, it's going to have a huge impact um, on industries and companies in this country. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's a shame it has to be that way, but I, why I know it'll be a huge impact, I mean, I can't begin to tell you. I'll talk to companies, and they'll say, well, do we really have to do that now? Um, and, I, of course, my answer is yes, but you should anyway. Why wouldn't you? Right, right, um, you should. And, and, and also, I interrupt, I, I realize I talked about kind of where it was. I'll just lay out for any listeners that don't know exactly what it is. And so Section 508 of the Rehab Act 
is a federal law that mandates that all electronic and information technology developed, procured, so bought, maintained, or used by federal government be accessible to people with disabilities. And so that means um, using accessible technology. And so uh, and it's not just the federal government. It is also federal contractors that this will apply to. And so any kind of electronic information technology, ICT as we call it, really um, needs to be accessible. Um, so it, it, it will, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it will have a, have a big impact. And, and folks should do it now to get ahead of it because it's the right thing to do because it makes the most sense because there's a business case for it. Uh, but, you know, if that doesn't move you, the, the stick is, is coming. Mm-hmm. The stick is coming. And uh, so I, I would hope you would do it now. Once again, see, go to this website, www.peteworks.org. Is that right? That's right, PeteWorks with an S, dot org. PeteWorks.org, and there is information that you can read out there, but you know, don't wait. That's my suggestion. Don't wait. I always say it's going to happen anyway, so why would you not want to do it now and do it the right way and be ahead of the game? By the way, 503 companies trying to figure out how to attract people with disabilities, this would be a really important thing. This is a really important thing. So with that, we're going to go to break so we can bring Josh back and talk to him more. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Josh Christensen, who is the Project Director of Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We are talking to Josh Christensen, Project Director for the Partnership on Employment and Accessibility uh, Technology, known as PEAT, and we've been talking about 508 and accessibility and so many things, um, and we were telling our listeners about the upcoming rulemaking that will go out. What, one question I have for you, when this does come out with the uh, proposed rulemaking when it's done, will this include state and local websites that they too have Great to question. be accessible? Great question. And, um, you know, some would say they already have to be accessible, um, that under uh, ADA, it, it, the way it's written, it really is already covers um, state and local. Um, but I, I would note that um, there's been some recent discussion around this, and it'd be great for folks to weigh in. Um, the Department of Justice has proposed um, establishing these requirements for online services, programs, activities provided um, 
anything by the state and local governments um, that it should have some accessibility requirements and to make those kind of clear and plain. Um, and so the Department of Justice, as I mentioned earlier, has already demonstrated through a series of settlements, um, and I will say we're going to um, have a, a resource up on our website um, within the next month or two that will really chronicle um, these settlements as they relate to um, employment. Um, and these series of settlements, there's 120 plus, I think, um, it's regarding Title II of the ADA, and it protects individuals with disabilities from discrimination. And this covers state and local government service programs and activities. And so um, this includes all of that, and it really anything that the public accesses online through the Internet is covered under that. And, of course, this has huge implications for employees and employers, um, given that so many state and local governments provide key employment-related resources and tools online. It's going to have a big impact, and Pete actually, in our upcoming year, is really looking to uh, provide some resources and guidance for, for public entities so they can get up to speed, because, unfortunately, many of them are not as aware of the accessibility and the requirements they need. Um, but so recently, uh, in May, Department of Justice announced a public comment period to help them shape and, and further these rulemaking efforts. So uh, I'm uh, here in Washington. We love these things. I understand not everybody in the world is keeping up with the supplemental advance notice of proposed rulemaking, um, but that's what, this, um, that's what this thing is, and it's really a chance for us to weigh in. And so um, they're saying, hey, we're going to think about supplementing this rule uh, give us some opinions, give us some information. And so there are a ton of questions on there, but I'd say you don't have to answer all of them, you can answer one. And so they're holding this comment period because they're really seeking help and gathering information about the potential benefits to people with, with different types of dis disabilities. So um, they want input on how to, how to measure the benefits, the cost of web accessibility. And so it's a great time uh, for people to weigh in um, they want to know about time frames. What's the appropriate time frame for a company to be compliant um, once things are clear? And so I strongly encourage all your listeners to um, submit comments, uh, which you can do until October 7th of this year. So they extended it recently. It's open until October 7th. And on our website at peteworks.org, uh, we have published a short Q&A um, on our site about why it's important and um, as well as a higher level kind of policy brief for any of you uh, wonks out there that want the detail, you can access that too. But we also have very plain language, what it is, why it's important, and how you can comment and weigh in. And I would encourage people to um, get their voices heard and, and, um, and participate. Okay. So now uh, people listening to the show right now that want to do that, they go to your uh, they go to your website, they can do this? Yep. yep, it's on the landing page. You'll see one of the top highlighted articles talks about the Department of uh, Justice kind of comment period, and it will be a very clear and simple uh, question and answer um, and how to get involved. And then there's a link, again, for, for those of you that want to read you know, 40 pages about what it is um, and understand the policy implications of it, um, we have that as well. Okay. And that's, again, at... Pete Works with an S dot org. Correct. P E A T. P E A T Works dot org. Yeah, that well I would encourage everyone to go. Hey, you gotta get involved. I always tell people if you wanna make a change, you've gotta be involved. Gotta have action to see a change occur. So here we are talking about these issues, but at Pete, wow, it seems like you are involved in so many things. Uh what are some of your other initiatives, Josh? Well in Thank you for noticing that we are because we're collaborative by nature. We really see ourselves as, um, in some ways, a vessel for pushing this forward. So we have lots of different stakeholders, um, whether it's advocacy organizations, businesses, technology providers. And so we do have a variety of stuff going on. Um, I would encourage people, again, the website is really our main portal for information and resources. Um, and you could go there and stay up to date. We have a newsletter that comes out every two months. We won't spam you, but I'd encourage you to sign up for the newsletter. And, and we have a few articles every month. Um, other things we have going on that I would highlight. Um, recently, we've rolled out um, what we call TalentWorks, which is really um, about accessible e-recruiting. So people searching for, um, applying for jobs online, how do we make that accessible to people with disabilities? And so we've launched that 
and we are continuing to get feedback to adjust it, to keep it updated. Um, but we're also going to move into the employment life cycle in total. So you got to get your foot in the door, but then we want to make sure that companies and businesses know how to have fact sheets, tips, best practices on making, um, buying and, and creating and using accessible technology throughout an employee's existence, throughout what's commonly called the employment life cycle in HR circles. So that's something we're working on. Uh, I mentioned earlier, we're kind of uh, putting together a policy corner. So um, things related to uh, these issues around accessibility legally, the standards, the regulations, whether it's state, local, or federal, who falls under what. Um, we do have definitely some experts that are key in our team that weigh in and track all of this. Um, and so we're going to have a little policy corner up on our website that people can um, utilize uh, and learn from. Um, we also are in the upcoming year kind of working on um, doing our second big event with um, developers. So um, we last year in Montreal kind of co-sponsored an event with Google um, at the Web for All conference, so a conference that's dedicated to accessibility, um, making sure the web is accessible to people with disabilities and all abilities. Um, and we did a hackathon on something. It was really cool. It was stuff that I barely understand, but we took a... a um, um, a content management system, so kind of a platform on a website. Um, we worked with the, the owners of it. They opened up their code. We got groups and teams of people, um, people with disabilities, people that were accessibility experts. So some people that just disabilities that were users, some were either accessibility experts and or just web experts, and they weren't necessarily accessibility experts. We mixed up the teams and had them kind of hack and work on a, a product to make it more accessible. And it was really fun. It was a lot of learning. Um, people enjoyed it. So we're going to do that again this year. I think will be a big, a big rollout for us. Um, we also, oh, yeah, will, it be, will that be a Google again? Uh, no, we won't necessarily partner with Google. That was um, kind of location specific. I mean, we could. Um, it's not until April, so we're still working out. I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy to say Web for All has made this year's theme for their entire conference is um, employment for all, the accessibility in the oh, workplace. Oh, I love so that. Pete is oh, really that is awesome. Them, yeah. And in the past, they've focused on games. or you know, They've done some important stuff in the education field, but they are working on employment, accessible workplace technology. They're going to have all these experts, presentations, designers, developers, um, working on talking about pushing, making the workplace accessible to all through technology. So that's really exciting, and we're excited. If to any kind of our of, listeners are interested in that conference, how would they find out about that? Um, I, I want to, you could easily Google um, um, uh, web for all. I think it's w4a.org, just w, the number four, a.org. I can double check that at the break, but we also have a, um, a blog on our website. If you just Google hackathon, search hackathon on our site or web for all, um, we have an article about last year's and we'll soon be link, linking to um, this year's. They haven't publicly announced it yet, but I know it's going to happen uh, soon and we're excited to uh, promote it and partner with them. Okay. Well, there's, there's I'll tell one, you what. Can I plug gotta... one more? Can I plug one yeah, more ahead, thing please. that we're going to come in? So um, one thing we do, I mentioned our network of experts. We have folks that are uh, um, representing advocacy organizations. We have users themselves, again, tech companies, businesses. And we say, what, what's the issue here? What do we need to do to, to move accessible technology forward in the workplace? And we um, met at uh, the CSUN conference in San Diego this year, and we had um, the Deputy Secretary of Labor, Chris Liu, there to listen. And we asked the experts, there was some 40, 50 people there, what's the biggest hurdle to making um, the workplace accessible to all? Um, and to getting people with disabilities, you know, in, in, in the office and staying there and retaining them and having them excel. And they said every, almost resoundingly was awareness, 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 awareness of just what accessibility is and what it means to the workplace. So we took that and then we had a follow-up forum online with the Deputy Secretary Liu participating, asking these experts, well, what should we do? What are ideas? And we uh, took that and then we had another conference at M-Enabling with the Assistant Deputy Secretary of ODEP, um, Jennifer Sheehy, and more folks. So we're talking about Amazon, Google, Microsoft, um, and all sorts of folks from the disability community. And we, we 
we ask, what can we do? And so we're about to take probably two to three to maybe five ideas, the best ideas that got voted up and discussed and uh, received the most support and have a big public forum. And we're going to ask everyone to weigh in. What do you think is the best idea? How should we do it? Who should we do it with? When should we do it? And so I would love for your listeners um, to check out our website. We've got a, we've got a placeholder there now, but it's going to be either in late September and or early October to celebrate Endeam. Um, and we'd love for people to share it weigh in. You can just click and vote thumbs up, thumbs down. You can comment. But we want to get the most input possible to see how we can really move the ball forward regarding accessible workplace technology. Oh, that you know what? That is really awesome. Yeah, okay, Thanks. everyone. We hope so. We hope so. Oh, I mean, that, this is what I love about the, uh, your group and your site is all this information. Um, and you know what? Isn't it great to have someone work for a, a group that is as enthusiastic as Josh? <laughs> I've, I've uh, learned to love this really important issue, and I'm excited to work on it. Yeah, well, that, that's why you're a great employee, Josh. And with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Josh Christensen, who is the project director for PEAT, which is the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology. And if you go to www.peatworks.org, You can follow what he's talking about. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Josh. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. So, Josh. We have been talking about all these initiatives at uh, Pete, but since you've been there, what, what do you think has been the greatest accomplishment at Pete? Um, I think I would highlight our, our, our the TalentWorks resource that I um, referenced earlier, um, and so that's really about how to make e-recruiting accessible. I mean, you, you have to be able to apply, you have to be able to get your foot in the door, right, to be employed, but... Why I would highlight it is really, I think the way it grew and came about was meaningful. So when Pete started out, it set out to kind of see what was important. You know, there was, they were trying to boil the ocean, so to speak. Where are we going to start when it comes to accessible technology? And they talked to employers, and they talked to subject matter experts, and they talked to those people that make um, technology. What are the hurdles? What are the obstacles? And there was a lot to work with. Um, but before P went any further, I, I'm proud to say they really they went to get the user perspective. So they put out a survey uh, on our website, published it with our partners um, from organizations, and we said, you know, 
who's had experiences um, applying for jobs online and what are they like? And so um, these were all people that self-identified as, as a person with a disability that applied for a job online within uh, the last year. And that really um, was eye-opening for a number of reasons. We have a full report and an accessible infographic online you can find on our website. Um, but if I had to highlight a few things, it's, you know, number one, lots of people found it difficult or impossible to finish uh, a job application. And depending on your disability, there are different reasons for that, whether it's timing out, whether it's buttons not being labeled, um, form fields, there's all, all sorts of problems and issues. Um, but it was great to hear the pain points from the people themselves. And we used that as the data and the information to then go to our partners and say, hey, this is a problem. People cannot apply for jobs. You know, you, you mentioned 503 recently. People want to recruit and they give lip service to wanting to get them in there. I shouldn't say give lip service. They do want to get them in there. But if your uh, job platform is not accessible, if your career page is not accessible, you're missing out on a huge pool of talent. Um, two things I would highlight there is, you know, um, we've had, uh, we have a webinar series called Pete Talks every month, and we had um, one of the premier kind of advocates and experts around uh, development, Denis Boudreau, out of um, Canada. Uh, and he came and he said, you know, he did on his own time a quick um, review survey of the top five job platforms. Um, and all this is on our website archived. And I think, you know, it's like monster.com and Indeed and Career Builder and these common names. And he did a quick accessibility scan of all five. None of them passed an accessibility test. Not one. And so if these are where the most people are applying, that's a problem. You know, you're shutting wow. the door right away. Wow, um, that, and, that's amazing. Terrible. And again, and again this is, these are not hard to fix. He, he clearly outlines the five easy things you could focus on and make them accessible that would make the vast majority of them accessible to the vast majority of users. So that, that's what needs to be done. And then, you know, on a more um, personal level, we had a blog written by a woman, um, Sassy Atwater, and she wrote um, about um, applying for a job. And this is after the downturn in the economy was at 2008-ish. And, um, you know, she needed a job and she's applying and she went through and she filled it all out. And, and she's blind, so she's going through um, the, the web uh, portal, filling it out. And she gets to the end or what she thinks may be the end. And there's a button and it's not labeled. And she doesn't know if that's submit, if it's erase, if it's go back. Because it wasn't built accessibly, she doesn't know. And that was incredibly... Uh, anxiety provoking as she writes you know um she gets eventually asked someone for help and not for their brain because she had done everything she knew how to apply she just needed their eyeballs because they didn't make the website accessible it's a very cute story because she gets a date out of it so you should read it um but what's most important is this young man helped her apply great but she got the job and she got the job because she was the most qualified talent available. They wanted her, and they almost didn't get the chance to get her because their website was inaccessible, and that is far too common. And so if you're a company and you want to get the top talent and you want to get the best people, and I know uh, from my background in, in human capital and talent, that's, that's, a, that's a real challenge out there. People, you want the best. So don't limit your pool. Uh, make your uh, technology accessible so you can get the best candidates possible. Um, I would end on saying, because Sassy is an awesome person, um, when she got the offer, she said, I can't accept it unless you make this website accessible on, on principle. Uh, and I'm excited to say she, she got the offer, she accepted the offer, and they fixed their website. So, you know, it's small and that's anecdotal, but it's a good story to keep in mind um, because we need more people to make accessible websites to get the best talent um, as well as just do what's right. No, you know what? That is a powerful story. That is a very powerful story because yeah. so easily they could have lost that great, you know, person. Yep. Oh, my. Well, listen, before um, we get ready in a minute here to close the show, we do have a um, message sent to us mm-hmm. by the Clinton campaign that we're going to play right now. Great. The rights of uh, people with disabilities is something that I care uh, deeply about, and we've got to do much more than we're doing. I tried really hard to get the um, UN-negotiated convention on the rights of people with disabilities to pass our 
Senate because it's a treaty and we we couldn't get it through the Republicans and it was such a disappointment uh, their attitude was we're not signing on to anything that the UN does which is kind of strange since air traffic control and postal systems and a lot of other stuff actually have some UN connection but that's the level of you know, Tea Party mentality that unfortunately we are uh, living with. And so I want us to do much more here at home. I still want to get the convention uh, agreed to. So I think there are a number of things. Specifically with respect to autism, as you know, I've laid out a plan. I'm the only person running for president. I did it in 08. I've done it again this time because we've got to do much more. We have to do much more on research, early intervention, job training, housing, the whole range of uh, benefits and opportunities that need to be available to people on the spectrum. So that's going to be a high priority for me and I'm glad you're here talking about it. When it comes to jobs, uh, we've got to figure out how we get the minimum wage up and include people with disabilities in the minimum wage. There should not be uh, a tiered wage and right now there is a tiered wage when it comes to facilities that do provide opportunities but not at a self-sufficient wage that enable people to gain a degree of independence as far as they can go. So I want us to take a hard look at raising the minimum wage and ending the, the tiered minimum wages, whether it's for people with disabilities or uh, the tipped wage, which is a real outrage. If any of you know what the tipped wage is, I see a head nodding in the second row. For those of you who don't, in a lot of states, if you work in a service industry where you can receive tips, like a waitress in a hair salon, a bartender or barber, you can legally be paid as little as $2.13 an hour. And so you've got millions of people who are totally dependent on tips that may or may not make up even a minimum wage, let alone beyond. So we've got these differentials in the minimum wage that I would like to see us do away with. When people talk about raising the minimum wage, they don't always talk about the legal, uh, uh, whole, the legal loopholes that we have in it. And I want to get rid of those and I want to get rid of that for people with disabilities too. Thank you, thank you to the uh, Clinton folks for sending that to us. Uh, we are all about, um, you know, equal pay. Thank you, Secretary Clinton. Um, well, guess what? Our time went pretty fast here, Josh, because we've come to the end of the show. So I have to thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me on. It was fun. Uh, and, and we will keep following you at... PeteWorks.org. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at VoiceAmerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.